0: Do you need to provide a phonetic pronunciation for your last name? Revitalizing a local church with a three-person team approach. Erasing the clergy-laity distinction with a Plymouth Brethren background. How do you know when you have a sermon and not a lecture? And here's a hint, it isn't just about volume. Expanding your teaching team planning meetings to include all aspiring teachers in the congregation? And, how do you preach those passages that probably will never make it on a Hobby Lobby decorative wall hanging? In this episode, we have a fantastic conversation with Eric Tonnis, Professor of Biblical Studies and Theology at Biola University and Talbot Theological Seminary, as well as Staff Elder at Grace E.V. Free La Mirada. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Teaching Pastor Podcast. This is Craig Hill, we're coming to you from the scenic uh, vistas of Hume Lake Christian Camps at the Joshua Wilderness Institute, and I'm here with Eric Tonnis. Eric, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Craig. How are you?
0: I'm doing... You know, I think we both are like, probably like no shower, out of the pool. That's right. Just, um, That's right. I was sliding down rocks with my son, just... <laughs> Right. Minutes ago. So yeah, here we are. Um, now, okay. Opening question here, Eric. What are the top three worst pronunciations of your last name? <laughs> Theonis, <laughs> Thinez.
1: And thorns. Okay,
0: and thorns, (laughs) (laughs) Eric Thorns. It's but Tonis is the Tonis. That's right. That's uh, that's great. Oh, fantastic! Well, Eric, we. I mean, we. Um, I met you when you first came to Biola as a Systematics prof, and that's where you're at now. Um, Hmm. what's your official title there at Biola?
1: Um, Professor of Biblical Studies and Theology, and I'm the Chair of Undergrad Theology.
0: Okay, now do you do any—you're also at Talbot. Do you do any courses with Talbot? Or I was in Talbot's
1: faculty, but my assignment ever since I got there has been Undergrad okay. Theology, which I love.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic, and obviously— mm-hmm. You know, you can go on ratemyprofessor.com and you can see the chili peppers and all that good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And
1: plenty of scathing things. I'm as sure. Well. <laughs> 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 D- never read that stuff. Uh, right. Never read oh, that Oh no, stuff. it's bad. It's Uh-oh. bad for your ego.
0: And okay. so this is, this is cool because you're also, I know you, when you guys came, when you came, you were with like Dave Talley and you guys went to a church, yep. uh, in La Mirada, yep. um, EV free La Mirada yep. or Grace EV free. Right. And you guys kind of went in with a little bit of a revitalization plan. Just tell, Talk a little bit about that and how that—anyway, just talk about that. Yeah,
1: Grace was a church close to 40 years old, but in the 90s went through a couple of really difficult challenges and was really struggling when we got here in 99. Mm-hmm. A godly, amazing man named Wally Norling, who was a church planter for many years— was spending his retirement keeping struggling churches afloat, huh. giving him CPR just yeah. by preaching the word and loving people. And I just want to be around Wally. So we started it at Grace E.V. Free realizing they could use help. And so we went and it was about 25 people at the time. And Wally suggested a team approach instead yeah. of the single senior pastor they were looking for. And at first they weren't, up for it but I think they got desperate and finally (laughs) they
0: got desperate enough to ask you and that's right it was sort of that
1: or close the door so (laughs) they asked Dave and me and one other guy a guy named Colby Kinzer who had just graduated from Talbot and the three of us split the one full-time position and went with a team preaching approach and started a real plurality of elders there and it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. What,
0: it's such a great story because it's such a vibrant, thriving yeah. church around, around the right stuff. Yeah. Reaching the community, yeah. teaching well. Yeah. Just, I love it. I love what you guys did. So, what was your, your role? Were you a pastor there? I know you're an elder now. How has that changed, or what's, how has that changed over the years? Right. So, I
1: started going there in the fall of 99, and the preaching pastor team, took over about a year later they were they had been looking for a pastor for a long time yeah and and then we took over about a year later intending to have a, a preaching team and a true plurality of elders we're pastors but right off the bat we realized that it was going to be really hard to help the folks see elders as shepherds if we kept using pastor elder terminology yeah. right so as soon as one of the elders is a pastor that sort of means the other elder isn't a pastor okay isn't a shepherd and since the new testament doesn't make a distinction in that sort of way we didn't think it was helpful to so outside of grace we use i'm a pastor term but inside of grace we still try to teach that elders are shepherds of god's people yeah. whether they're school teachers or bankers or firefighters right they're still shepherds they're not primarily managers and right. so we, we wanted our people to see that in the pulpit as well as leading the church. And so the terminology we decided to use was elders yeah. and staff elders yeah. to just try to help get that point across. So if,
0: if you were an elder and you got paid, you were a staff elder. Right. Right. That's right.
1: great. And we've always tried to keep the ratio more elders than staff elders. Yeah.
0: So in the the most, when you were on that teaching team, and you are a part of the team now, is yes. that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, what was the most, I mean, I guess one of the questions, obviously you've, you've done your, your, your academic work, but where did you cut your teeth as a pastor? Mm. Um, I know you were in Connecticut for a while. I know. Um, but talk a little bit about your, your role as a pastor. Right. So
1: I, I think it's, I was influenced by Jim Elliott actually when I was young, late teens and he was Plymouth brethren. Yeah. And. Some of the best things about Plymouth Brethrenism is a strong emphasis on the priesthood of all believers. Yeah. To the point where you don't have to be paid to be called a minister. Right. And that's that's I think the primary reason Plymouth Brethrenism has had such a massive influence for good in spite of the fact that it's a relatively small group. Yeah. So you've got Jim Elliot all the way from Jim Elliot to FF F. Bruce come out of that tradition. Huh. And it's because there's a sense of, I'm I'm a minister, and I'm responsible for opening the word myself. And whether I'm a bricklayer or a construction or whatever, I, I have to bring something to the break of the bread service.
0: And there's no paid staff in the Plymouth Brethren. Well,
1: right? more and more there has been. There over has the been. Years. They call them full-time workers. But, okay. But, yeah, but there's such a strong emphasis on non-clergy-laity distinction yeah. that it ends up sometimes lacking strong leadership in the way it should. There's a downside to all this stuff, but yeah, and we, so then when we went to Wheaton for grad school, we went to a little Plymouth Brethren Assembly, and so when we came to Biola, we really wanted to be involved in the local church. For me, being a a prof in an academic setting, has to have a foot in the church in a very significant way to give credibility to both places, really. So, I wanted to take the best of what we experienced in our Plymouth brethren, which is priesthood of all believers, strong emphasis on the word of God and plurality of elders and really do that well in a evangelical free church, which, which is a great denomination to do that in because they give a lot of flexibility to the congregation to do things the way they want.
0: And so you kind of took that leveling, like what you were talking about, about elders, pastors Well, let's not make that distinction. Let's just elders across the board and bringing that a little bit more, more out. Right.
1: So we had an elder on our team early on. We read Alexander Strauch's books, book about a biblical eldership, and tried to get these guys out of the management mentality and more in the shepherding mentality and one of our guys was really mentally just stuck in this, the pastor sort of mentality. So I'd walk in on Sunday mornings and he was one of our elders. He visited people in the hospital. He and I'd walk in, and he'd say, "Good morning, pastor." And I'd say, "Good morning, pastor." Back at him because I wanted to get You're this point to, across. Always right. A right. Always right, right. a teacher. Always a teacher. That's uh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so good. So at
0: the at the height of the amount of like teaching, how often were you in the pulpit in those early days, as compared to now?
1: I would say I was in the pulpit once or twice a month. Okay, but the way we did it was. One of us would grab the beginning of the Ecclesiastes series, and I would do the first four weeks, and then I wouldn't do anything for a month, sort of thing. So it ended up averaging okay. to once or twice a month. Okay. And now I would say I'm once a month. I have I didn't I had no kids back then. Now I have four kids from 18 to 12. So takes a little work. Wow. <laughs> right. So I've definitely when, when we first got there, I was going
0: at it yeah. in the church, and yeah. so
1: since since we had kids, I've pulled back.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously you've got a dynamic presence in the classroom as a lecturer um, and just teaching your courses, but also in the pulpit. Um, how, how how, has that been like similar in terms mm-hmm. of classroom lecture? How do you know when you don't have a lecture, but you have a sermon? Right, right. So that's tough for me because
1: when I'm teaching theology in an academic setting, I think, especially in an evangelical setting where I have complete freedom to assume that students are believers. Right. And we're there submitting to the Word of God for the purpose of glorifying Him and becoming more deep worshipers of Him. I feel a lot of freedom to easily slip into preaching, exhortation, yeah. worshipful exaltation, in that academic context right. and biola
0: and, gives a great yeah. context and they say spiritual formation needs to happen in the classroom yeah. so you're actually charged with that
1: right now and i think most bio students come wanting that liking that um and i would say in the pulpit if there isn't substantive uh, depth that some might call more academic now, I don't feel any need almost ever to use Greek or Hebrew terms or throw those around. I, I'm really concerned that we can make it seem like the average person can't understand their Bible in the way we preach. Right. By, by It doesn't mean you don't do that hard work ahead of time, but but almost never does it need to come out t- preaching to the, to the folks. So. Yeah. So, but I want it to be substantive. I want it to be challenging. I want to assume the best in people that they really do want to think and they do want to be fed at a deep level. and yeah. Be challenged to think and dig into the word. The Bible can be hard to understand, and we have a a culture that doesn't teach us to yeah to dig in deeply. So has there wanna,
0: been a has there been a significant like how do you does it change do you change the way you prepare for Sunday morning as in terms of how you prepare for a lecture classroom lecture?
1: I would say in that, at Biola, I can assume a lot more about who's going to be out there. They all signed up. I, I have a lot more authority in my classroom in one sense than I do on a Sunday morning because on a Sunday morning, I've got doubters, skeptics, atheists, disgruntled family members whose family dragged them to church that morning. I've got people exploring. And so I just can't really assume nearly what I can at Biola. Even though Bible students can be all over the place right. too, it's it's a much more diverse group that I have to assume is there on a Sunday morning. So, so I want to be far. I just don't want to assume as much. I, I want to explain terms that somebody may not understand. I, I I don't want to alienate people with verbiage and ways of talking that make them feel like they're not in the club. Yeah. Even though I try to be pretty ruthlessly biblical if i think somebody's not going to understand the word sanctification i want to define it for them yeah that's not hard to do
0: no no not at all that's and that's that's i think that's a good i remember hearing you say something about uh Imago Dei. And it's yeah, like, hey, yeah. it's just the image of God. <laughs> Thank you. Greg. It's all it is is Latin. Oh my goodness. I don't
1: understand. I, no one has ever given me an explanation why as soon as you learn that term, it's one of those you learn in seminary that you just sort of show yeah. off with. Right.
0: I, and I, then it's like, you know, because everything sounds better in Latin. Greg, of everything in this podcast, that's gonna ma-
1: upset people more than anything else. Because people love that Latin. and people don't speak Latin anymore. I don't know if you've noticed. It is a dead language. <laughs> Really, I don't even think he save a syllable, do you, with image of God and Mago Dei? I So I, I don't, yeah, I, I try everything I can. Even in the classroom, I don't, I don't want my students to come out of my classes yeah. harder to understand right. by the average person. Theologians should help clarify things, yeah. not make them more muddy.
0: And at the same time, you do want to prepare students, if they are going to go on to the next level, or if they are going to engage at the level they're at in a in kind of a deeper way, you want to give them the terminology they absolutely. need, but right. you also don't want to make it a club where right it's shorthand. So I teach them
1: Day, yeah. and I say you need to know this because it's one of those terms right. that gets Let, thrown Right, Now around let's all move on. Right, exactly. Don't use it, but know what it means when people do.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So where do you, when you are um, when you are preparing? <laughs> for a message. Where do you do, let's just the human side of Eric tonis so let's pull, pull the veil back. Like, where do you do your best work of prep? Like, what are the, do you do it in your office? Are you like, are you a coffee shop guy? I don't imagine you are, but um, where are you? Do you have a home office? Is it office on campus? Is it office at church?
1: Both, both. Yeah. It's, it's, no, it's at Biola and it's at home mostly that I'll do, I'll do work. And usually it's after the kids are in bed and and I have some quiet and some time. Or near the end of the Biola week, I start digging in. But I will, I will try to be reading the passage well ahead of time. One of the beautiful things about being on a preaching team is I don't have to crank it up every Monday. I can actually sit under the preaching of the Word for a week or two or three and be fed. And I really think it's important for a congregation to see their pastor with his Bible open being fed by another preacher because... It's, there's something wrong if they've never had that image in their mind, because actually I think for most Christians, anytime there's another preacher, their pastor's out of town. Yeah. And and so I after I labor over a sermon, I, I want to have a bit of rest, a bit of feeding myself, or two or three sermons, and it's the same thing. So I I look forward to getting a bit of a break and be part of the process of the other preachers as they prepare their sermons and vice versa. We don't prepare or evaluate our sermons in isolation. We do it on Monday mornings where we say, hey, where are you heading this week? And then after the sermon we critique and and it can be humbling, but it's really good for us. So for me, it's home, it's at at my office at Biola, it's both places.
0: Okay, yeah, and then um, talk a little bit about the team. how far out are you guys is it the whole team that's looking at series Um, and how far out are you guys putting the schedule together in terms of the team how many people are on the team we usually have a point person
1: who stimulates discussion about what book of the Bible which is typically what we do we'll do a series on topical stuff occasionally, pretty much expository going through books of the Bible and we really prayerfully as a team consider what would be helpful to our congregation in light of what we've done in the last two years, in light of what's going on in lives. Is there mm. a book of the Bible that particularly speaks into things that are of pressing need in our, in our people? So we'll, we'll land on a book and then we will have a delightful four-hour typically morning or yeah. afternoon session, which we call our preaching powwow, and we will invite not just those who will be on the preaching team, But young folks are trying to groom for Bible teaching. And we will invite men and women from our women's ministry, from from the preaching team that's actually going to do the preaching, uh, younger guys coming up, and we'll invite them to this. We'll read through the entire section we'll preach through for the next few months together. And we stop on each section because we've already broken it up ahead of time, generally with flexibility. And we'll read through a section, and then we'll talk about it. And it is rich. and. You get stimulated and get ideas you never would have gotten in isolation. Yeah. And for me, the biggest thing is motivation. For me, I, can, it's, I think it's easy to get the information collected and correct. Right. For me, it goes from being a lesson to a sermon when you go from having information to a message you're burdened by and desperately want your people to hear. That's and in, until I get to that point... I don't feel like I have a sermon, a message for the flock. I have lots of information that a typical seminary prof can collect pretty easily. And so there have been a few times, it's been late on Saturday, and I can even remember a couple times I'm in tears saying, Lord, I have a lot of information, but I don't have a burden and a message for my people. Would you please give that to me? Because I don't want to get up there and just dispense info. and, And for me communicating whether it's teaching preaching whatever the context you need to know your stuff love what you've learned see the importance of it love your people and then the the real thing is when those two connect when your information you've become passionate about and see the vital importance and then you actually love the people and can't wait to get in the pulpit because you know they're dying for it some of them literally dying for what you're about to give them and and you know i think it was lloyd jones said we need to preach as dying men to dying men they've been spurgeon but i like that there there needs to be a seriousness a we are actually offering the words of life to people and this isn't just a cool message with stories and less this is food this is life this is surviving my marriage and, and so every time I get in the pulpit or the classroom I, I think we're doing divorce prevention. I think we're doing you know obliterating pornography. I really believe God uses his word that
0: way i love the I love the idea that I know I have a message I know I have a sermon when I feel burdened about the yeah. message otherwise i've just got I've got information i've got
1: I've got a really nice talk, and they can go read a commentary or right. you know right johnston yeah so yeah i i and and for me, I'll tell you. The connection between fellowship and preaching is as fundamental and powerful as I can do. So we've been at our church 19 years. And
0: yeah. Has it been that long? Uh, Does time not stand still, I Eric? Know, I brother, mean, I geez.
1: It's just unbelievable. But, <laughs> but um, I'm 19 years. So I love these people. These yeah. people are going to take care of my wife and kids when I die. And we've been through war together we've been through leukemia that takes out a dad of 35 of 5 kids we've we've been through church discipline together we've been through all kind. we've been through war together and I love these people and I know them so when I get in the pulpit I'm looking at these faces that are my family and I know you know what that guy is embroiled in pornography just after he thought he finally had victory over it and their marriage is imploding in a tragic way and and that and they find that couple finally got pregnant Mm -hmm. after the anguish of infertility Mm -hmm. for five years Mm -hmm. And so you know you see the joys this and for me that connection between those relationships and the message sometimes the most effective part of the preaching is when my face land my my eyes land on someone and i might not even change the words but the burden Hmm. deepens yeah and and the, the passion deepens and the, ang- the, the anguish even yeah. in the midst of a sermon yeah. is, is more perceived by me and I think more evident to the people.
0: And I would imagine that even that pastoral burden, flip it around to your work in academics, that that pastoral burden informs... Your work in systematics absolutely in a, in a in an amazing way as well yeah
1: one of my goals in life is to, to do everything i can to dispel the stereotype which actually has a lot of basis yeah <laughs> of of theologians as talking about things that don't make any difference yeah. in ways that nobody can understand and i just hate that perception yeah so I mean, you and I have taught the same courses at Biola: God, humanity, sin, and Christ. What's more important
0: than that? And if that's not yeah. invading your life, and if it can't, if it can't get me going, if it can't, <laughs> exactly. as I, if that can't get exactly. me up, if that can't get, if you can't see a little bit of excitement, a little bit of passion, that's a little right. bit of burden, that's what right. the heck am I doing? That's right.
1: And if I teach in the deity of Christ and it doesn't end up having an effect on the way I live my daily life because He's Lord of all, when this isn't, this isn't worth doing. Yeah. It? It's actually counterproductive. Yeah, I love it.
0: And of course, I mean, you've got a great reputation in terms of you're going gonna to let your passion show. You're not going to put, you're not going to put the governor on there. Yeah. You're going to let it, you're going to let it go. Um, when you, when you are looking at a text, you're, you're expository preaching, you're looking at a passage. How are you looking at it? Are you looking at paper Bible? Are you looking at uh, multiple translations? Do you use Bible software? What's or online resources? What is your way of looking at the text? And whether it's original languages or translations, how are you looking at that
1: stuff? All the above, everything you just said. But it starts with reading the passage quite a few times. In what? Like in my Bible, my translation. Are you using ESV? Yeah, just reading the ESV. Just reading it like a disciple, reading it like a follower of Jesus who Mm. wants to be fed by his word. I really try to. B- delay Sermon prep mode mentality you want to marinate like, yeah, in it. Yeah I, yeah, I want to be fed by it first And I want to be challenged by it rebuked by it, whatever it, It's supposed to be doing in our lives. And that's one of the things that I think is so important to We come to church with our list of what we want out of it but if the passage wants me to get on my face and grieve my sin well that's where i'm going and i need to do that both in in the content and the tone and so we need to feel a lot of freedom as a preacher to get in the pulpit and if it's a heavy passage out of isaiah well let's be heavy let's not be breezy and and you know just try to be cool and tell fun stories it, it, if the message of the passage demands sobriety or weeping or grief well if we're not t- tapping into that in our hearts, we're doing a disservice to our people because we need to communicate the right ideas, but, but with the right passion, feelings, emotions. We've gotta be connected in that way. One of my, one of, one of my pet peeves is people apologizing for things like crying. It's so funny that our instinct is say, I'm sorry when, I, when we cry. I'm not sorry when I cry. Yeah. And when someone says they're sorry to me, I say, don't be sorry, you're alive. That's beautiful. If you're not crying about this issue, something's dead inside of you. So I don't want us to be afraid of emotion. You don't want to try to use it manipulatively or something, but but man, if these ideas aren't engaging our hearts, and the, these are the most weighty, important, life-changing, radical, dramatic truths ever. The reason Lord of the Rings is so meaningful is because it taps in the ideas out of the Bible. And so if it gets to be, yeah weighty and dramatic why don't we in the prophet?
0: right right no doubt no doubt so you're in a passage you've read it in the esv you've you have uh, you've kind of let it do its work once you start to want to do some exploring in original languages how are you doing that how are you accessing your greek hebrew aramaic how are you accessing that stuff
1: i'll typically just read it in english a few times i'll look at other translations and then especially if it seems like linguistic issues are of importance in this particular race a lot of times i read my english translation i look at greek or hebrew and uh, the english is just doing a fine job and i don't need a i don't need to explain things beyond what the english bible does and I, i do think we need to be careful with that that yeah, it is as helpful as greek and hebrew can be you can give people the impression that they can understand their bible no doubt say, yeah. no doubt so but i obviously the original languages are, are important especially when there are exegetical issues related to those obviously often less in a narrative than in, in a, an epistle yeah. so because there's an argument being built in an epistle and then sometimes understanding a key word in that argument can be essential but but i'll, I'll go to greek or hebrew especially if i see particular import in understanding the passage well and then you know i used to go to six commentaries now i go to 1 okay. 2 yeah. and i just try to find the, the one or two best yeah. and if if one does it well it's amazing how often they start just repeat quoting each other and it's a great
0: genre horrible <laughs> genre to read <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and you know so many of them don't get to to theological right. realities that are important and 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 there's a there's value in, in the technical stuff but but more and more honestly I find a lot of help in really good sermons that are exegetically okay. grounded and so where I, are you
0: finding that stuff
1: uh, the Gospel Coalition website has mm-hmm. great sermons on there there's uh, uh, another website that I'm blanking on right now but but um, Oh, my goodness. So, but then I'll, I'll, I'll go to Alistair Begg's sermons. I really appreciate Tim Keller's yeah. sermons. I really appreciate. And just try to listen to somewhat of a breadth. Ones who take the text seriously, but preach it with theological connections yeah. and and practical implications. So to move from from the ideas to the theological import to the, the daily life import is
0: really yeah. important. Yeah. Are you you are you a Logos Bible software yes, guy? You're, I am. Logos is what yeah. you're using. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, there's um I know Bible works just went out of business.
1: I know. Can you believe it? I that? know. What well, world? I
0: actually can believe it. I mean
1: people are just running through the streets rending their clothing. Yes. <laughs> I mean right now. Right now. Outside.
0: No, I've been using accordance for a long time. I really love accordance, yeah. but I've I've got students that use Logos and Fuller was using Bible Works for a long time. I know there's some people that have been on the early adopters to Bible software um, yeah. and that are, that are um, weeping.
1: I was a Bible works guy for a long time. And then when I got a Mac, I went to Lagos cause yeah. it just was just yeah. so much less clunky. Absolutely. And, and I do like the library I'm collecting on there that that's, that's the best thing about Lagos.
0: Yeah. Is the big, yeah. When you do compare translations, do you have like some favorites that you like to go to? Um, yeah. NAS, NIV. Yeah. Are you using the yeah. message? What do you think about Eugene Peterson?
1: Well, as long as we know it's a paraphrase, right. which is on its way to a sermon, it, I think it can, can be helpful. Yeah. I, I typically will look at the ESV, the NAS, the the NIV. The I'll, I'll just especially when there seems to be something that translators have a bit of a difficult time deciding. I want to see what the translators yeah. across the board decided on. Yeah,
0: it's amazing just how comparing translations you can get at whatever those really sexy issues are, I don't know if we should call them sexy, but whatever the things that are, right. are really the key linchpin issues in a passage, just by comparing English translations. Yeah. And um, yeah. you can get a lot of good information out absolutely. of that. So,
1: as long as you understand the philosophy behind the translation right. and why it's helpful based on that philosophy, I think it'd be really helpful.
0: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Now, every preacher's got to find their voice over yeah. the years. Yeah. Was there a time when you felt like, I'm, I'm still trying to find my voice as a preacher. Uh, and when did you feel like you, you kind of found now my voice, Eric Thomas, this is the way I'm, this is kind of the way I come at stuff.
1: Yeah. Boy, that's an important place to get. We all, I know you were like, I was a long time in grad school, which is people looking over your shoulder, right? Yeah. And what you write, what you do. And and it's hard to just say, I answer to the Lord, I want to be helpful to people, whether my prof, my <laughs> dissertation mentor, or whether my reader likes it or not, can become this shadow over you. And totally, it's great to be at the point in our careers where I think, for me, there's enough distance from grad school where they're not over my shoulder anymore. And I, I really feel like, well, I think the Lord's pleased with this. I think I've got the text right. I know I love my people. I say stupid things, but they're gracious. Yeah. And it's funny. I say some of my, think, most helpful things when I divert from my notes and some of the things I cringe yeah. over most when I <laughs> divert from my notes. So, uh, oh, that wasn't the spirit. And so um, so to be in a body where there's grace in both directions yeah. and, and we are growing together is a wonderful thing. And so, yeah, I... I want to find my voice and something I'll say to the other guys in the team is just talk to us. Mm. I I really want people to believe that I'm I'm talking to you. I'm just talking to you. I'm not giving a presentation. Yeah. I'm not giving a talk. I'm talking to you and I think that ability to really make people feel like I'm talking to you. it, It wouldn't be much different I'd be louder probably when I'm in front. But but uh, but it wouldn't be that much different than right. you and I sitting right here. Right. And I'm, I'm getting excited about what I just learned in the Word. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, my voice, I, I hope there's an authenticity and that there's a sense that these things have really affected me and I'm not doing it in a pontificating yeah. talking down to you sort of way. And I, I think, I want people to trust me because I'm trustworthy in who I am, how I'm living my life, and that I I worked hard to get this right.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Now, the last thing, the last sermon series that you taught, obviously, you've just been up here at Hume, and you did the program messages, Um, was there something in the last thing or first of all, what were the, what was kind of the last thing that you did other than the Hume stuff? Um, and has there been something that kind of got surprised you with in, in that last series that you were doing?
1: Oh, who would have thought Craig Hill is such a good podcast interviewer. You're what, really man? good. You're really good at this. I'm serious. That's a great question. <laughs> that is a great question. Um, Yes. I would say every time I prepare a sermon, you go to and you say, I'm kind of familiar with this. You know, I have studied this stuff a long time. Right. I would say every time I study a passage, I find things I just didn't realize before and things that take it even deeper for me. And, you know, Craig, this morning I gave a devotional on the woman at Jesus' feet, washing his feet with her tears mm. in, in uh, Luke 7. And and it really moved me. I love that woman. She's one of my heroes. Huh. I can't wait to meet her in heaven. Yeah. And when I read that story, I was really moved by it. And when I opened it up for interaction, one of the one of the guys said, "Hey, I was really amazed by how you read that story. Huh. It really touched you." And he said, "It's like you read it. It's like you were reading it for the first for the time." First time. And I said to him, "No, actually." What you saw was the fact that I just read it for maybe the 500th time. Hmm. She's like a friend of mine. Hmm. I feel like I know her. I don't think we're going to need any small talk in heaven to dive into what huh. was going on when she was at the feet of Jesus. And so the Bible's become a friend. The people in the Bible have become friends. I feel hmm. like I know John. So last summer and this summer with the adults, I'm preaching on King Saul, and I learned to love Jonathan, Jonathan for instance, at a level. Yeah. When he gives his sword to David Hmm. and his robe to David, I mean, who had more to lose from Saul's foolishness than Jonathan? Hmm. Even more than Saul. And not only does he not fight to keep David from getting his kingdom that he'll inherit, he gives him his sword and robe. I mean, what a great example of parents taking too much credit when their kids do well and too too much blame when they don't Hmm. do well. Mm -hmm. saw this terrible shipwreck has this amazing son, Jonathan. And I learned to love Jonathan in a way I never had before. But let me answer your question based on a recent sermon. We're preaching through Genesis right now. And it's funny because we assign the passages and I'm willing to take any passage. I I, I actually (laughs) like the guys picking the ones they want and then giving what they don't want to me. I'm fine with that. And I was assigned Lot with his daughters in the cave like, where they get him drunk oh man and get them to impregnate them and the guys are like okay Eric, let's <laughs> see what you're gonna do with Eric, this
0: bud yeah this is yours right and so we saved this one for and you and it was
1: it was like well we'll see how this is wow. gonna go and talk about a tough passage yeah. with, with so much mess and sexuality today and in families and you gotta cry when you preach that one because man. that stuff isn't ancient history yeah it's right now, we got, all, we got people sitting in our congregations have experienced similar sorts of things. And yeah. it was amazing to me when I said, wow, the three big sins in this passage are deception, substance abuse, and sexual immorality in a family context. Wow. Talk about three th- things that are still devastating Man. us in our society today. This opioid crisis, the substance abuse, sexual morality, immorality all over the place, right. deception and every other politician. So it's just, couldn't be more relevant in that way. But then, that was that was enough. Yeah, I, I could have just said, "Can you believe how relevant this crazy story in Genesis is?" And when we started the series, I did the launch passage, and I said, "Look, we're gonna read some wild so stuff: wild. mandrakes and and <laughs> spotted sheep and striped sheep, right. all this like." And I said, "Yeah, it's gonna be like another planet." Yeah. But isn't it important to hear from people from a very different place and time mm. and experiences than we? Mm. We don't want to be siloed, do we? Mm. And then I said, and this stuff is miraculous, it's supernatural, but human nature's the same, God's the same, our needs are the same. We can see all this stuff in these families and the patriarchs alive and well in our families today. But here's the big thing that just blew me away. I get to the end of studying the passage, and the two boys that come out of that cave horror begin the Moabites' And the Amorites. Huh. These most devastating enemies of God's people, the closest ones to them. Huh. So, one, we're a mess was the first point. Two, our mess has devastating consequences. Hmm. Three, God's at work even in the mess. Because then you hmm. say, wait a second. Ruth is a Moabite. Is a Moabite. Hmm. And I took us to Matthew 1. Yeah. And I read the genealogy, and people are like, And then we get to Ruth, to Ruth. And do you know who Ruth's mother-in-law is? Rahab. You got a prostitute. Hmm. You got a Moabite woman who who <laughs> ends up marrying Boaz, the mother-in-law of Boaz, right right? It's just great. and so the the final point was the light of Christmas runs through a stench, stench-filled stench dark cave wow. just outside of Sodom. Oh, man. And, brother, and, and you know, our greatest vexation as preachers is saying, Lord, <clears throat> I don't know how my people need to connect this. I'll give a couple of practical applications, but the Holy Spirit needs to connect it. So I was so taken by it. So I... I I have a fond affection for passages of Scripture that never get taken to the prom. <laughs> um, and and I actually I'm writing a book right now, 21 Things Christians Should Probably Stop Saying, and one of them is this is my favorite passage. Okay. This is my favorite right. verse. Because that makes it seem like they're competing to be your favorite, and what's where does that leave Leviticus? What's right? better than yeah, right, right? It, now it's what fine about to the say passages. Exactly, right. it's fine to say God really used this. Or, right, man, he he changed my life with this. That's fine, but right. it's to say my favorite, but who's who's gonna say Genesis twenty-nine <laughs> with Lot in the caves of his is my favorite? favorite passage. Passage. I got that on my wall in my living room. Right, right, but it's become Hobby a passage. Lobby didn't put that one no. up. On it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not on anybody's coffee mug, right? Uh, so, um, but that passage was powerful in my life. Wow. And I can't tell you. So here's what I've done. I preached it last week in Hume Chapel here. Oh, wow. And I preached it uh, at another venue. Oh, I preached it in Talbot Chapel last semester. Okay. And I, 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 I say, please open, please open your Bibles to Genesis 29. I read the passage. And then I say, just so you know, no one told me. I had to preach this passage (laughs) i actually chose to do it i wanted to do it and i hope you see why because we're all a mess yeah our mess has devastating consequences so we need to fight sin in our lives and believe even in that sin god's working in amazing ways that's so good and and so there you go every every time but sometimes i go what am i going to do with this and then i say oh lord your word is
0: incredible yeah it is a good it's a good practice too of just saying look I'm coming under the word. Like, I'm not going to avoid, I'm not going to dodge anyone. I'm not going to dodge any passage. That's right. We've got to deal with this. We've got we've to hear it, and we, and we have to hear what it has to say. And That's right. um, it might be, you know, every church growth book might say, don't preach Leviticus. Don't, you know, don't preach. But who who cares? You've got to, this is, this, is, this is what we live with. This is the word. And yeah. so we have to, we've got to reckon with it. Um, and if we don't reckon with it, we don't learn the heart. It's hard. It's hard. That's absolutely
1: right. And the whole counsel of God's word is what we're responsible for. And I never want someone to sit under my teaching or preaching for any length of time and then go read their Bibles for themselves and say to me, you didn't tell me this. You were (laughs) holding out on me. You didn't think I could handle this Uh, or I I just, I want to trust the word and wherever it leads us.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So from this, uh, this last week up at Hume, or last two weeks up at Hume with the theme, what were some things in, and it's kind of a whole work through the the story of salvation, essentially. What were some things that you felt were good, were kind of great points to, to kind of land on? Well, I, I got to tell you, I couldn't have been more grateful for the theme,
1: excited about the theme, because one of my burdens is that we are whole Bible Christians, and that we know the story, so we don't, we don't parachute into verses and passages and books unaware of where we are in the story. And that gets us in trouble all the time. And people say, oh, so you think homosexuality is wrong? Yeah, well, you think eating shellfish is wrong because the Bible says that. And most Christians go, don't I don't know what to do with that. You're right, uh, because they, they're they not able to say, well, at that point in the story, we're in the Old Covenant, and, and sort of go from there. Right. And so, but then we see it in the New Testament as well, and the New right. Covenant includes it. So we've got to know where we are in the story. And as helpful as verses and chapter verse numbers and chapter divisions are and book titles and all that, it can also isolate passages from the story. So I love that the theme here at Hume, and I know you're on the board here, and I just love this ministry. And this week, was it was creation to consummation. Hmm. It, was from, it was creation to consummation fall, law, sacrifice, and prophets. It was incarnation, mm. uh, redemption, resurrection,
0: consummation. Yeah. It was the whole it story. It was the story. God, which yeah. is
1: the gospel. Right. And we, right. in a society now where we can't assume anything about right. how people define sin, how people define God, love, the purpose of life, anything, to, to start with, the Bible does, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And to go through all that process and get to the point where He's going to make all things new. Yeah, boy, it was exciting to 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 do that. It was it was intimidating. Now, thankfully, it's kind of what I do as a as a systematic right. theologian. Right. It's the big ideas and the big picture. I wanted it, them to see it's biblically grounded, and it's coming out of passages that are reflected throughout the storyline. So I loved it, and to get to Thursday, where we we call kids to trust to turn from their sin and trust jesus after the resurrection after mm. setting the stage of who god is of the reality of our sin for two nights with sin with the fall and then law and prophets and sacrificial system we let these kids sit in the depth mm. of sin mm. in light of the holiness of god as creator and then brought the humanity of christ and then the resurrection and then said so god's done it for you do mm. you want to trust his gift and and it was amazing to see these kids respond. Yeah, did.
0: it is. I'm, I'm constantly amazed even how much we hear. And I guess this is just a little encouragement to anyone who's listening to the podcast. You know, you, you start hearing in, in, you listen to media and you listen to the voices in media, in whatever media, whether it's social media, whatever. And the idea of like, how can you be so intolerant? How can you look when the, when the gospel is preached People respond absolutely, and so we can't, we just can't not preach the gospel yeah and i I know that there's there's a lot of there's a lot of intimidation that can that can happen, but I think that one thing for me is just being up here and being part of the ministry is if we preach the gospel, people will respond absolutely, because like you were saying, the depth of human need yeah. people want. They might want to be politically correct and not say the wrong thing, but at the same time, there are deep, deep needs that people are looking for God to say, for God to do something for them that they cannot do for themselves.
1: Absolutely. And the the grace of the gospel is the best news anybody will ever hear. It's the most liberating thing you could ever hear, that a holy God, all he should ever say to me is depart from me. And he says, come unto me and I'll I'll feed you. I'll forgive you. Yeah. When you just turn to me. Yeah. It's the
0: greatest news in the world and people
1: do desperately need it.
0: Yeah, no doubt. All right. One last question, Eric. I mean, you, what do you think people would be most surprised to know about your prep? Like when you're getting ready, either whether it's lecture, whether it's um, messages, um, what, what would people be the most sh- shocked or surprised to know about, um, about the way you prep or like, how do you get unstuck? How, um, you like to drink five cups of coffee. You, I mean, I don't think you need any caffeine, Eric, but, um, <laughs> it's funny. My friends, in, <laughs> my friends in college used to say when I'd be
1: going crazy to party, Thomas, you don't need to drink alcohol. <laughs> you're, you're not inhibited the way it is. So yeah, um, probably they'd be surprised by a couple of things. One, how much of my sermon prep takes place on the fly when I have some time. Okay. So I'll throw a bunch of good sermons on, on my phone and when I'm on my way to Home Depot, listen to a a snippet of a sermon Uh, or when I'm on a run, I'll listen to a sermon. Uh, So I I just keep grabbing some as I go. Right. So, or I'll have 10 minutes waiting for a student to show up and I'll pull out my phone and read a bit of, uh, that's one of the beauties of Lagos. It's I have it on my phone and pull it up and read a little commentary in there. Right. Probably how much of it is patched together, patched together throughout a busy week. I, I think I I guess it's great for some folks, but this idea that I need to spend 30 hours in my study. Yeah. How in the world can I be a pastor and do that? Some people may have that luxury, but I need to do it listening to a sermon on my way to the hospital. Yeah. Or before my, while my kid's getting ready to go play basketball with me, I I have to prepare when I have 15 minutes here, Mm. half hour there. Maybe the ideal is long periods of sure. reflective time, but that's just not life for me. And probably the other thing is how much I do after the kids go to bed on Saturday night.
0: Okay, yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised at how much like I'm like shower Sunday morning. Oh, there's the il- there's an illustration. Boom! Exactly
1: right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, exactly right. Sometimes during the worship before I preach. God is impressing things on me that I hadn't thought. Of. That's what, another thing I would say. I'm so grateful for the corporate sung worship at our church because I need it probably more than anybody to go up to preach after having been in the presence of God uh, in the context of worship. Yeah. This idea that the pastor's in the green room right during worship, I'm sorry if you're listening and that offends you, but you need to be worshiping with your people. Hmm. And they need to see worshiping. I realize I, I don't even necessarily go to all the services, but at least one of the services. Right. Just go as a worshipper. Right. At least one. Right. Yeah. It, Absolutely. It, it, and and so, um, I, and the the worship team needs to sit under the preaching of the word. That's another thing. Right. To see that
0: they're not going to the green room either. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a good. I usually will hit the first service, worship. Yeah. Give the message, and then some every once in a while go back in or stay, you know, whatever, but, uh, right.
1: But at least one go as just a a worshiper of the Lord, because that's what you're wanting people to do. We want to worship in front of people as we preach as well as when we worship with them in the congregation.
0: If anyone wanted to hear one of your messages, where could they go to listen
1: or watch? You could either, well, the best place would be Grace Evangelical Free Church of La Mirada's website. Yep. You, you'll get sermons from all our preaching team. You can do a search just on my name if that's what you wanted.
0: If you can spell it right. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or even pronounce right, it. Right. And then. Try
0: it with Siri. Just speak it into your phone and see Right,
1: what I, <laughs> And then there are, there are tons of lectures from Biola right. online. And as we said before, I've never been really able to tell the difference between teaching and preaching. I guess preaching is a little bit louder.
0: I don't know, Eric. You're a pretty loud, dude. You're right. You've got,
1: <laughs> I think you've taught in classrooms next to me and had to shut the door. Oh gosh, so
0: good. Well, Eric, thanks so much for making time, uh, for being on the podcast, and um, we'll put all the all the things, all the resources we've mentioned. We'll put them in the show notes, and um, you can you can get them there. But um, but thanks so much for what you do at um, what you're writing, what you're doing at Biola, what you're doing at Grace. EV Free La Mirada. It just is, uh, it's encouraging to me and I just appreciate you. Thanks, Graham. I'm grateful for you. All right, man. All right. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that conversation with Eric Tonis. Um, if you'd like to hear some of Eric's messages, you can find them at the Grace EV Free La Mirada website or you can just Google Eric Tonis. Uh, sermons, again if you can spell his name, but that's here in the show notes. Uh, there's also a link to Grace EV Free here in the show notes. There are also some links to some of the resources mentioned in the episode, um, the book by Alexander Strauch, um, Biblical Eldership, as well as a link to Lagos Bible Software, as well as Accordance Bible Software. There's also a link to the Gospel Coalition website where you might be able to find some sermons and some other resources that Eric mentioned. Also put into the show notes a um, trailer for the Kajua Summer 2018 theme at Hume Lake Christian Camps. Um, there's also a link to the Biola University Department of Undergraduate Biblical Studies website. Anyway, hopefully those links will be helpful. Um, we are—I am so appreciative of your listenership, Um You can, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes. Um, Do us a favor and review the podcast. Um, Write a little review. It helps to get the profile up there. Also, since this is an independent podcast and we're not on a network or anything like that, the way the show gets around is by word of mouth. So if you like this episode, share this episode on Facebook or on another social media platform. With friends who might appreciate hearing about what goes on behind the scenes of teaching prep for a pastor. We have found that um, there's a lot of people who enjoy hearing about this, not just pastors but students as well as people within a congregation who just want to see what their pastor does, um, you know, for the 15 to 20 hours a week that they're spending um, preparing for a sermon. Anyhow, having a great time doing this. Please get the word out, and um, you know, we'll catch you on the next episode of the Teaching Pastor Podcast.